everyone. I'm Melody Maraca. And I'm Bill C. Welcome back to the Into the Heart of U2 podcast, where two longtime fans discuss U2 music album by album and tour by tour, the fan experience and the perception of U2 and cultural consciousness. Right. Melody and I, we came of age with U2. We saw it all happen in real time. And as we sit here in 2023, we still care about this band, but we're concerned about their legacy. So as we take a trip back through the band's history, we're going to try and place it in proper context and ultimately get to the bottom of whether U2 is one of the greats of all time or are the haters right after all. For this episode, we're going to take a break from our regular album by album, historical programming, and talk about U2 show at the Sphere in Yay. Las Vegas. Yay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> now that we've both actually seen the show, um, you know, I, I was particularly excited to do this episode since we saw two different shows in two very different locations of the building um, with me up in the 300 level and you on the floor. And frankly, you know, I just thought this episode might be fun um, to discuss the shows while they're still happening. But first, I wanted to give a shout out to some of the kind folks who have reached out and let us know they're enjoying the podcast. So we're really grateful for that. Um, we are indeed. And this was especially the case as I was tweeting from the show last Friday, which is not really my jam, but um, <laughs> it was it was fun and people were very responsive. And um, yeah, they said, hey, you should do a Sphere show. Um, so we figured, hey, why why not have edit, right? And and you know, I've I've got to point out here that um, Bill, you're the one that scooped the whole um, uh, thing that you two were playing um, the war songs, seconds and <laughs> Sunday Bloody Sunday. So I'm just I'm just saying it. You scooped. Yeah. It. Well, I got a unicorn set list, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and Melody, you saw a fairly early show. I think it was October eighth, was it not? Uh, um, yeah, it was. Yeah. And I saw mm -hmm. last Friday, uh, November second. So anyway, we're winging this uh, episode, uh, Friends of the Podcast, so we're a little yep. more freeform. Um, Melody, where should we go at this point? <laughs> I have to say that before I went to the show, um, I had some concerns. I think you did too. Yeah. Um, some of the things I was thinking about was, was the spectacle of it all going to overpower the band? Of course, we didn't know what the spectacle was going to be yeah. before the show, but that was something I was concerned about. And then also, I mean, no matter what The Edge says... It is Las Vegas residency. That really is what's going on here. And I was concerned whether it was going to feel more like a residency than a U2 show. So how about you, Bill? What were some of your concerns? Yeah, I mean, I not only had the concerns, I voiced them on our manifesto episode, as you recall, which mm -hmm. we recorded right before this whole run of shows that the sphere started and i feel like in fairness you know that now that i've seen the show i should address some of what i said at that time you know one thing i said was you two doing a vegas residency was like them doing their fat elvis period you know and with adele katie perry uh, Britney Spears doing Vegas residencies uh, is kind of like instead of touring. It seemed to me that like no matter how spectacular visually the Sphere shows would be, it felt like U2 was following others rather than doing what they always had done, which was being at the forefront of uh, innovation with respect to the concert experience. Um, now, having seen the show... I have to say maybe that had been a little rash, and we'll get to all this. But I also said that I was afraid 
uh, that these residencies were a sign of things to come, uh, that it could mark an end to touring uh, as we've known it. And, you know, artists, you know, they could just, you know, set up shop and then it's up to the, you know, the, the fans of the world fly in at their expense and come and see the band and you know when you think about it you know we covered this in our zoo tv episode u2 was spending something like two hundred thousand dollars a day whether it was a show or not on their dime um at a time when they had not reconciled issues of you know corporate sponsorship and so now fast forward now we've got madison square garden building this fabulous thing for two billion some odd dollars and you two can over the course of six months fly in three times a week play for a couple hours a show and the overhead is comparatively low and let's not forget when they're not playing the sphere is this probably one of the greatest pieces of advertising in the history of marketing right right and i think that these are the types of questions that we're going to get into and discuss a little bit later. Well, leave it to me and Melody to jump ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wanted to talk about just the the ticketing experience. Now, you and I had very different experiences here as well. Um, I was fortunate that I was able to snag tickets through the fan club sale. Right. Um, so I was lucky. I got them at face value. It was great. Uh, but I know you had a different experience um, and you purchased tickets through Vibby, um, which I'll just say, I didn't know this about Vibby. Um, they are a Live Nation uh, company. Um, they were just launched in April of 2023. Um, they're billed as a, quote, music-led destination experience company that will transform the way fans travel and connect with their favorite artists, which kind of, I think talks, uh, it kind of plays into what you're saying about yeah. the future of touring. Um, yeah. But, you know, there was a lot of, there were a lot of complaints about Vibby. Um, I know a lot of fans uh, were talking about the lack of transparency, slow release of distributing tickets, um, they weren't very communicative with answering questions of fans um, that had purchased tickets. Uh, did you have any of these issues? Um, you know, and then did you enjoy any of the perks that you were supposed to get with these Vibby well, packages? Let, I mean, <laughs> let me back up. I yeah. also being a member of YouTube.com fan club, mm -hmm. long time right. member. I did the attempt that you did and everyone else uh, old fans did i yep. tried to get them the legitimate way i've seen this band for 40 years going back every tour and i did not get a ticket not one ticket never yeah. got through and so basically i i will only defend the fact that i did a douchey thing buying the idiotic <laughs> vibby package because i was so pissed off and maybe i should have said screw this entirely but it's like I want to be on the floor and I don't want to put up with this and I'm going to fall victim to it. Okay. So please direct your hatred uh, to me on Twitter or Instagram. I am a fool, <laughs> but I refuse to wear that ridiculous laminate. Um, and I was not going to go to any goddamn cocktail party. Oh and I God. thought the zoo station was substandard. The merchandise was unacceptable and uncool and too expensive. And no, I didn't enjoy any of it. All righty. So 
So I talked to some folks who who were happily wearing their lanyard when I was there, um, when I visited Zoo Station, and they had a great time and they really enjoyed. God love them. Yeah, and I, and that is cool. I didn't like Zoo Station either. Um, I thought eh, it was packed. It was a gift shop. You know, there yeah. were some really cool things to take pictures with, but I didn't want to wait in line myself. Myself, I didn't want to wait in line an hour to do the photo booth, but I saw some multi-generational folks, um, families together who were having a fine time and God bless them. And I know that some people loved it and that's cool. It wasn't for me either. Right. Again, listen, if you, I'm not being judgy. I'm saying this is my experience. If you loved it, go for it. It's fine. Um, go for it. Uh, Listen, you paid for it. Enjoy it. Um, I paid for it and I did it for one thing and that's to get the floor seats. And, yep. you know, we, we stayed in the Venetia. Uh, I don't like Vegas melody. You know, this very well. I've been there many yes. times yes. for you two and, and for pleasure. And there wasn't much pleasure. Uh, I just, I don't love the place. So what was your experience um, when you first walked into the sphere? How'd you feel? The, the funny thing about it is uh, there was nothing rock and roll about entering the sphere for me, it felt like we were going into some sort of Star Wars thing, you know, at Disneyland <laughs> or something. It was very quiet. There isn't the, you know, the telltale signs of a rock and roll with the you know, urine and <laughs> sound and vomit <laughs> and people screwing in the bathroom. None of that. It's very yeah. clean. And then, as I said, long hallway and then, you know, the opening. And then for me on the floor, of course, mm-hmm. it's this towering, overwhelming monstrosity and i felt like a little ant <laughs> yeah but yeah it, it, it immediately hit me my god yeah i get it now because you know you mm-hmm. see the youtube clips doesn't do it justice it doesn't although i have to say i i had a different experience i didn't walk in through the venetian which i, I think is the way that most people get there um a member of my party um had some um ambulatory issues so we we paid a ridiculous amount of money for parking. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. It was like 120 bucks. Yes, what? man, 120 bucks. Yeah, it was $100 flat. Ticketmaster charged $20 fee. Oh, not my kidding. God. I did yeah. not know that. I know. I didn't tell you that until. Bastards. I tell you that. <laughs> anyway, so we spent a lot of money and we were parked Jesus. really close, which mm-hmm. was, we needed to be. But anyway, no, so, I get that. yeah, so we, um, we walked through and I thought that was a cool building. I know what you mean by it's very futuristic, which it is. And it's very quiet. It's very quiet. Very quiet. Very quiet. <laughs> There's so many people near you and it's very quiet, yeah. yes. but I thought it was cool. I thought it was, um, I liked the futuristicness of it. I liked the color, the gray color scheme. I liked it. And I have to tell you, I, I had heard that it was incredibly soundproof, right? Mm, From yeah. the inside to the outside. So I was kind of like looking forward to that walking down the hallway to get to the inside okay. of the sphere. And I'm a dork, Bill. I did yeah. it a couple of times because it was so cool to walk from mm-hmm. this little quiet space to all of a sudden, you know, all this noise and you can hear all this music. So right. I did it twice. I thought it was cool. But yeah, I had the same experience that you did. I was very overwhelmed by it. I think, you know, literally maybe the jaw dropped yeah. um, by seeing this what metallic silo looking screen and kind of that merge with the pantheon i guess yeah when you're looking up towards the ceiling um so cool um and yeah i, I the pictures don't actually do it justice which i feel bad saying that because I, I think maybe some people are listening can't go to the show and right. i do feel bad about that but um it's it's a very overwhelming 
feeling. And that whole issue of there is a segment of the fan base who can't afford it or get yeah. to it is yeah. part yeah. of the discussion. I, I think that must be said. Absolutely. Even if you're talking about face value tickets. Yes. Because, you know, the the, the least expensive tickets were at face 140, but you had to travel to Vegas. But we'll talk about that, like you said. Right. Right. So I did think one of the things that was interesting about the sphere is how different it felt to me um, from an arena. This felt like an oversized um, theater. That that was my impression of, of what it felt like in there. I don't know if you felt similarly. Combination of that and like an old opera house with that mm -hmm. the steep rise of, you know, the, the 300 and 400 section. Right. It kind of had that feel of, you know, old opera house. Yeah. And then also it looked so different when you walk in there comparative to their other stages that yes. they've done. That stage is tiny. And it's it not just tiny, look... it's sparse. It's so sparse. It's yes. four, four yes. lighting rigs and yes. a turntable, we're told, is designed by Brian Eno. Right. Very sparse, no amps. Right. All of that is Completely out of clean. sight. Completely clean, exactly. Yeah. It's actually elegant. The, the, yeah. the four lighting rigs that are behind yeah. the stage, they're very thin. Yeah. Very thin. Almost you wouldn't notice them. Really. I think intentionally so that it doesn't get in the way of the visuals. Right, exactly. Um, so, but it was so different. Everything was so different than anything I'd ever seen in relation to you two that I had absolutely, by the time I got into that building, I didn't know what to expect, which is a good place to be, actually. Fair enough. Last thing I'll say before we get to the show is I was wondering, okay, so this is uh, this is a Zoo TV, like Octune Baby, rather, Octune um, Baby. anniversary, uh, two years late because of COVID, of course. Uh, so I was wondering, okay, so what is the reference or will there be any or what mm -hmm. kind of commemoration or hearkening back? So that was the other thing I was wondering. That's a good and point, I was yeah. wondering if, if there was going to be any Zeropa. Those are the things that I was thinking going in. So let's talk about um, the opening act, Polly Lovejoy, the PSM, uh, who was DJing. Um, you know, no offense to Polly because they really weren't doing much other than, you know, driving around in a neon lit trabby and spinning tunes. But I mean, it, frankly, it just wasn't my cup of tea. Um, thought it was a little dull. Yeah. But to be fair, you know, they're doing, uh, you know, some posing, um, TikTok or Instagram moments, you know, doing what they're asked to do. Um, for me, you know, I'm on the floor and it was easy to just to kind of go, hey, it's an 80s dance party. Um, and, you know, people around me were, you know, they were into it. Um, but I understand why that wouldn't kind of float up into the 300 section. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it, very different experience on the floor. Let's put it that way. Okay. Harmless. Cool. Harmless. All right. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I guess then we should go ahead and talk about the main event. Okay. Just to kind of set the stage a little bit, um, it's it, the show is really, it, there's four segments to it. Um, there is what Bono, I think, refers to as side A of, of Octung Baby, even though they're not the songs that were on side A. But half of the record is played. Then there's an interlude of older songs. Um, Bill, I think you were referring to it as uh, the B stage, because that's how we would think of it even though there isn't a b stage right. and then following that um the, the rest of octung babies played and then you have the encore 
Right. Um, but for me, that first segment of the show, I think you can kind of break it into two parts. There's the first three songs, which are the visual onslaught, um, and then there's the rest of it. So what did you think of those first three songs? Well, first off, um, we had alluded to this uh, in the Zoo TV episode, which I guess hasn't aired yet, so spoiler alert. But we had mentioned that it was kind of cool how uh, Bono was coming out exactly like he did on the very first leg of mm -hmm. the first Zoo TV tour uh, leg, um, where you know he's he walks to center stage without any musical accompaniment but for uh, a drone and he does what's been called the uh i could have lost you intro which for this run of shows is actually him singing ah i couldn't find you ah where are you hiding from me alone i'm not alone or something like that <laughs> And then it goes into Zoo Station. He's got the fly shades on. And then it goes into the fly, of course. And that uses a lot of the same um, affirmations, so to speak. Everything you know is wrong, that sort of thing. That is is a big trope there. And mm -hmm. then, of course, even better than the real thing, which we can you can weigh in on, which, of course, is the probably the single most uh, visually stimulating and uh, psychedelic uh, vertigo vertigo inducing moment of the show yeah that's true <laughs> yeah. yeah and I, I think you know um zoo station one of the things to note um is they do use some old images from the zoo tv tour um the blue um static there's a couple other images that they use that were the re recycled so i think that was a nice nice note to to start the show on um certainly as you mentioned the truisms in the fly but you know even better than the real thing is is certainly the most overwhelming but those other two visuals because you don't know what you're going to expect at that point and even um zoo station when um, it looks like the the screen, the wall behind the, the stage is cracking open into that um, white light uh, cross, right? Yeah. It's incredibly exciting. Yeah. It was really well done. Um, I have to say, though, for the fly, 
um, after the truisms are done and sort of the, the computer code, right, right. is is kind of wrapping around the whole screen and the ceiling. Oh, and then I the ceiling falls. Yeah, and then the ceiling falls. Yeah, the computer yeah. code falls in everybody's right. head. And I did wonder for a moment, I said, oh, is this going to be some sort of meditation on technology? That was that was really actually my first thought. I wasn't right. That's not really what they're talking about. I mean, technology maybe in the sense of it, its relationship to consumerism, because that's kind of, I guess, examined visually. But that's yeah. not really what it was about. So, so that was interesting to see that. Um, and and yeah, that ceiling falling, kind of uh, showing what the sphere could do, was pretty cool. People screamed when the ceiling was coming down with with the code on top of your head. It was very cool. That, that was that was a very uh, that was an aha moment. <laughs> <laughs> How so? Well, I mean, again, we had two different experiences. You, you're yeah. getting the the full breadth of it up yeah. higher. I'm I'm right underneath it on the floor, so it did have that you know multi dimensional kind of mm -hmm. enveloping feeling. Um, and of course, you've got the hole in the top of the sphere, so it's almost like this this. It is definitely a futuristic kind of something you'd see in two thousand and one, or you know, right. something like that. You know, it's, ah, you know, like it's 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 swallowing me. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it 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 was a really good um, it was really good trickery because it really yeah. did feel like it was falling down on you. So, um, but certainly those two songs, and even better than the real thing. If at any time I felt that the sphere overpowered you too, it was those three songs for sure. Well, particularly yes. even better than the real thing. Right. You two had a decision to make. Um, and I'll I'll just take it to an old favorite phrase of mine, which is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. <laughs> you know, whether it be Pro Tools, you know, hey, I've got a million tracks. Hey, let's add another cello or a hundred. <laughs> Doesn't make the song better. And in the same sense, the 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 technological advancements and options, an infinite number of options, does that mean you should use everything all the time? So it it ultimately becomes a a artistic choice and one of taste. So you two had to face this. And this is probably my main concern going in. Yes, mm -hmm. you've got all this. Yes, you can do it. But should you? And how much should you? For sure. I, I agree with you. But I do think in those first three songs, you know, it wasn't a bad idea to show off what the baby could do. Right. Sure. You know, and and also I thought that the images that they used were just they were interesting. I mean, let's let's talk about even better than the real thing. So it's based on. I have some notes here. It's based on a piece um, called uh, King Size by the artist's name is Marco Brambilla. Oh. Um, and as a lot of people know, they've seen the images. It's multiple Elvises. Um, you've got young Elvis, fat Elvis. Um, it's uh, images of Las Vegas, um, sort of from the golden era of Vegas, probably the mm. early 60s. Um, there's a lot of pop art um yeah. in there there's images of disney um just different pop culture references there's actually there was an image of edge from the pop mart tour in there too mm -hmm. okay. um but you know it's it's so overwhelming because you have so many of these images i think i think they're supposedly coming down from the ceiling and mm -hmm. then there's sort of spotlight images of the band that are floating upwards so the effect feels like um it looks Levitation. like the stage is 
lifting off the ground. Yeah. 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 And people, one person in my, in my group really did have a short term, uh, bout with vertigo following that. That's actually true. No, no pun intended there. Yeah. But the other thing that I, I thought about it was there was sort of almost, you, you mentioned psychedelic, but there was kind of almost a religiosity to it. The way that the images were coming down from the ceiling, sort of in concentric circles, it sort of felt like a Mandela almost to me, sort of a, a like a circular geometric pattern that you would, um, in Eastern religions that you would uh, focus your meditation on. Yeah. I mean, it was overwhelming. It was, it was incredible. And I've got to applaud them because it was a really good art piece. Yeah. And, and, and so basically at this point, you're, at least I was thinking, okay, that was something. And now Mm -hmm. what, you know, like, is this the way it's all going to be? Because my God, do I even need you two on stage at this point? Or is this, you know, just a, a, a visual oral stimulation exercise. <laughs> right. And I was also at that point thinking, you know, this sounds really different than a regular rock and roll concert. It was so clean, right? It sounded so clean. Um, and Bono was so forward in the mix. Yeah. Um, and the instruments were a little bit subdued. Well, um, yeah, I mean, where where I was, it I actually got a lot of edge, which is very mm-hmm. important and makes me happy. Yeah. But on the whole, I thought the mix was actually pretty tremendous, um, even on the floor. Uh, it, but I don't need super clean. I need something that feels live. <laughs> agree. I agree with yeah. you. And that's what, exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. It was so clean that somebody that I was with mentioned, hey, is this pre-recorded? Uh-huh. Are they playing live? I mean, there was really a you kind of wondered like, are they playing live? And I thought, Oh boy. And so that was when, even though I was overwhelmed by these images and I thought they were great. That's when the fears of, Oh gosh, this is really going to be a residency. This isn't going to be a U2 show. But actually, can I just say one thing? Because we've talked about the underworld on zoo TV and, Uh and how it became a bigger thing as tours went on. I will just say this. I, I could be wrong. I don't think there's a whole lot being added here uh, i was i was listening pretty hard for it and then, of course like zoo tv i'm sorry uh zoo station forgive me yeah um always has that hum going on that's obviously um a sequencer but mm-hmm. there wasn't a whole lot added that i could tell um certainly comparatively on previous tours yeah no i agree with that i think for me the the, the big difference was how clean it sounded yeah. bono didn't need to Shout, take the fly, for example, um, which is that real conversational style of singing on record. He could do the same thing live. He could have that conversational style live. There, he wasn't fighting with it. He wasn't fighting with the room, right? He wasn't fighting with the sound system. Sure. And it was just it. I think there was a momentary adjustment to, oh, this doesn't sound like another live show. This sounds really different, mm-hmm. and it it. I momentarily made me think that this was not going to be a great experience sonically. I changed my mind later in the show though. Do you want to, at this point, talk about Bono's voice? That Bono's voice is aged. It shouldn't be any surprise. (laughs) No, no, certainly not. Um, But it does go to legacy acts. You see them Mm -hmm. for a number of years. I mean, it's absurd to say like, oh my God, he doesn't sound like he's 20. Oh, really? Newsflash. Right, exactly. Newsflash. (laughs) He's 60. Uh, Right. uh, But as we've talked and you pointed out, um, there are certain singers, iconic singers, 
who mm-hmm. lose their top half of the register entirely. It's very Bono, common. Bono has not. He no. may not be able to reach certain notes, but mm-hmm. he it's not like he doesn't have the upper register. No, I mean, he, he does have his upper register. His voice has lowered. Most people's voices do lower as they get older. He's in right. his early 60s. It's yeah. completely normal. I think he's still quite a good singer. Yeah. Um, I don't really understand the complaints. Um, he No, he can't hit the top range of his falsetto. He, right. he can't do it anymore. But it's it's a common thing. But yeah, but yeah no, I still think that he, he does a fine job. In the last two or three tours my only complaint has ever been like it's been sometimes a little lazy with the phrasing and it, mm. not so much oh my god he's not singing like uh heartland or something off rattle and hum 88 right um right. it it's more like come on don't don't give me a half-assed phrasing job here like that's all only been my my concern i didn't get as much of that here no uh, i think he did a great yeah, job actually yeah. what what he's doing though is he will either obviously do it lower or he will you know let the crowd sing it or, sure. or like i said or demure it's not that shocking you um, know i i gotta tell you it, it it doesn't bother me it's it's sort of you know i mean these guys are in their early 60s bono can't do some of the same physical stuff that he did before i know a lot of people yeah. are complaining about that he's not when he was in his his fly uh uh persona right yeah, yeah. that he didn't do the stuff that he did when he was 30 as the but, fly it's like come on it, he's not going to it probably would look silly it would look silly yeah. and he's almost doing like a, a a an homage to himself doing the fly i mean it's not the fly it's it's you know that that's that's not really what what's happening all right, so let's move on. Where were we? we were um, so the first three songs. So everybody's yeah. gobsmacked. Oh my gosh, what is this building going to do? Yeah. And then things start to calm down. I think with mysterious ways and one. Right, and of course, I, I suppose there maybe there was a discussion. Hey, do we have a belly dancer? And I think it's smart to say no. That again, that would probably be a little silly and maybe a little creepy <laughs> <laughs> at this point in your life. You know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah, that that's that's true. Um, yeah, I and I mean, also, I just don't know that it would have worked for the staging. Yeah. And again, you mentioned earlier everything was so clean. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just don't think it would have worked. But but I was glad for um, uh, the calming of the visuals. I think yes. that if the onslaught had continued, um, it gets too kitschy. Yeah, it gets too kitschy, and it's just it's just overwhelming. You, you yeah. wouldn't hear the music. Yeah. So I was very glad to hear the music, but I thought that those two songs did a nice job of calming things down. And then when they did um, Unto the End of the World. All right. Before we go on to Until the End of the World, can I just mm-hmm. say sure. um, one, this is a song for me that um, in recent tours has felt a little mailed in. Uh, you know, you, you'd mentioned New Year's Day or Pride, you know, thumbs songs that feel maybe a little overdone they lose their effectiveness one maybe is that song for me even though i love the song i actually thought it was incredibly moving at the at the at the show i saw um bono i was trying to explain this to you off mic um i could i was close on this and i so i saw him as like he's trying to like gather up and and, and you know trying to assess what can i do here like it, it was actually instead of like oh my god he can't do it it was 
it, it was actually very moving because he was he felt taken by the moment and he mm. was trying to find a way to summon up the the emotion befitting what he could give and um i found it very moving um and and the visuals were very uh simpatico um what, what, oh yeah what, what was your interpretation of the visuals then? the visuals were kind of like um it's starlight stars pinprick stars mm. you know in, in the background mm. um and then that was also the time when um you know folks brought out their phone flashlights so there was that first connection between oh yeah and an audience too yes. right and that felt familiar there you and, go. and i think that that's something that that had been missing up until that point it's like oh yes we are all in the same room together we're not just going to be eaten by this screen so you know bill i've got to tell you i mean that there was the visual onslaught of the first three songs which of course were overwhelming and and, and fantastic but the end of one which we were just talking about that's when the show really gets interesting for me. Um, one ends with Bono starting to sing Love Me Tender. Which was interesting, but of course we had just seen images of Elvis previously in um, Even Better Than the Real Thing. But then during the performance, you have these images of Priscilla and Elvis getting married, yeah. followed by JFK, then right. followed by a 1960s rocket launch. And yeah. I started thinking, what is the correlation here? Because I'll, we, we're going from this these images of uh, this sort of pop icon Elvis um, Vegas, American consumerism to all of a sudden now we are in um, this Americana uh, Camelot, right? Yeah. With these images, right? right? And I was just trying to figure out what is the correlation? And then of course we go to these shots of earth from space. Right. What does this mean? What does this have to do with anything? Um, and then until the end of the world starts and we get these images of lightning flashes storms. Right. Yeah. And it was fascinating. It was really interesting. And that's when I became intellectually engaged with the show because mm -hmm. I thought, oh, they might actually be saying something here. I don't know where they're going yet, yeah. but this is really fascinating. And the other thing, too, about the images of Elvis and Priscilla um, getting married and until the end of the world, because to me that tied in with Octung Baby, which of course is so much about interpersonal relationships and marriages that fail. And I thought, oh, what are they saying there? And again, didn't know where we were going, but I was excited. And I thought that that song sounded fantastic sonically. I thought all of a sudden it started to work for me. I was paying attention to the music. I was paying attention to the band. The visuals weren't overwhelming the band. It was working with the music. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. And the other thing that was interesting too, visually, is, you know, you've got all this, the, the lightning is going on during that song. And then all of a sudden there's, water um the, the 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 bottom half of the screen is is turning uh, showing water sort of the slick looking water and at that great part of 
until the end of the world, that outro, the very beginning of the outro, as soon as that starts, you get that image of a, a flag with flames. Yeah. Right. And it looked apocalyptic. I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what I was looking at, but I thought, oh, this is very apocalyptic looking. So we have this sure. image of, of the globe before, and then all of a sudden we have fire and water. Fire and water are always apocalyptic. Yeah. Now, before that, right before that, now, I don't think you got this, but I did mm. um, for the big moment that was on the Zoo TV tour, you know, the surrounding me, going down on me. Um, so he, for my show, he came into the audience. He actually mm. kind of fell into it during that section, did a little snippet of painted black, uh, even bit somebody's hand. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Uh, but that, that, that was very connective right there because yeah. there wasn't a whole lot of that in what I was kind of monitoring the shows before then he was kind of back and didn't really not that he didn't interact but there wasn't any contact that kind of broke things down i liked that um yeah but yes until the end of the world it it, it didn't necessarily have a whole lot to do with judas and jesus yeah, and, no. and that whole thing it, it, as you said it, i think it really was more into the apocalyptic transition uh, right of the yeah. show yeah, and before we we go on, I'll, I'll just mention that that since since I saw the show, um, I have learned that that image, um, the the uh, which I'm I'm looking at it is the opposite of a a white surrender flag because the flag is on fire. Yeah. Um, the piece was called um, Flare. Um, the artist's name is John Garrett, and it's actually it was based on photographs that the artist took of the South Pacific ocean. Mm -hmm. um, and it's meant to be a meditation on the crisis of heating oceans um, that, that that poses to um, low laying lands. Well, then we're on to something because yeah. certainly, as I said, again, no spoiler alert, but the end of the show visually certainly right. is very connected to that very Indeed. idea. And there Indeed. are other allusions to it, uh, which we will get to. Indeed. All right. What is up next? So, Who's going to ride your wild horses? Um, and I have to say, I really, I thought this song sounded great. And I was not expecting this song to sound great. I think this song was more successful than it was on Zoo TV tour. We were talking about this because yeah. we both have agreed, even though I think we both liked the song to whatever extent, it it never felt like it belonged in the set list or it didn't work or it didn't flow properly mm -hmm. uh in the original zoo tv set list but yes right. i i i also enjoyed it and i thought um this is one definitely bono sang wonderfully and yep. uh bram uh played played the hell out of the drums yep. um i don't know if you want to talk about larry here i miss larry bram did a great job i miss larry i we all miss larry you know yeah. that i I specifically wasn't even sure Larry was even still in U2. That was something I that I expressed. I'm not saying that's true, but it was a concern of mine because, sure. you know, for all these um, dubious business decisions over the past decade, we were saying to ourselves often before we even did this podcast, where's Larry to say, right. guys, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> it seemed like there, that voice wasn't in the room. So I, there's not clarity on that issue other than U2 has absolutely gone out of their way to address the optics of not having Larry there. 
Um, they have referenced him often. He, of course, appeared in the uh, Atomic City video. Yes. Um, he has he's quoted in the in the tour uh, program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, he he is a presence. Um, they certainly sound like he's going to be drumming for them again as soon as he is well. That's what they're putting forth, and of course, we all hope that because yeah, I'm choosing you know. to believe that, and it it did certainly look sincere. Um, I I I was not at the opening show, um, but Bono, I suppose, what I've heard is Bono was overcome with emotion um, when they first mentioned Larry, and I would imagine it would be difficult to not play with your bandmate after you know, 40 plus years for the yeah. first time, that that would be very emotional. So yeah. I like, like everyone, I, I think we're all just hoping that Larry recovers and is able to do what he clearly seems that he wants to do and rejoin you too. Sure. But in fairness, let me just say, I think Bram is a hell of a drummer. Yes. Um, and, you know, they're not doing songs that are so specifically uh, unique to Larry's style, a Sunday bloody Sunday or, mm -hmm. Oh, you know, even bad. bad. Those would be ones I go, but what is he going to do with that, for instance? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but he's a hell of a drummer. And, you know, I, I didn't, I certainly miss Larry's presence, but I, I will just be fair. The guy played extremely well. And I didn't yeah. necessarily feel musically like, oh, my God, this is such a substandard, you know, representation of the band. I didn't no, I, I didn't either. And it might just be emotional for me that that I just miss Larry terribly. Of course. Um, but, you know, yes, but but Bram is he's in a he's a great drummer. He plays really well with you, too. And man, he's good looking. He's a, he's quite fit. Whew. <laughs> Whew. <laughs> Even I can say that <laughs> he's quite fit. <laughs> All right, moving on now. Where are we going now? <laughs> um, so, well, I think that we should probably mention try to trying to throw your arms around the world. Very happy to hear that again. Yeah, I do love that song. Yeah, um, of course, the early versions of this song, I I don't remember. Did you get a version where the girl is swinging on? The, no, uh, no, they were not. No, we, okay, no, we didn't. It was just yeah. Bono walking, strolling around the stage with yeah. the uh, with the the balloon. Do, Which was really anyone, an interesting visual. Does I have anyone no idea know what, what the balloon means. is? They don't. Know I have no idea. Is. I don't know. <laughs> I, I know that at the end of uh, uh, "Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses," he starts shouting about Jacob's ladder when the uh, the string, the white string, is being risen. Yeah. Uh, but I have no idea what that means. I do I don't not know. either. I do I not know. either. <laughs> I, I like the balloon. It's cool. It's evocative. Yeah. Um, uh, to you know, to me, it kind of signals innocence, childhood, that sort of thing. Well, the the uh, visual is very innocence tour, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. like the light bulb. It's like right, that, yeah, that, no, that's a good point. Cartoonish, that's a good point. Kind yeah, of yeah, artistry, yeah. 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 But, but and I, no, I don't know specifically what it is. And I I, I uh, read that um, Morley Steinberg, who uh, U 2s choreographer, Edge's wife, that she's the one that came up with the image of the balloon. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, like you say, it's it's evocative. It's fun to look at. Nobody knows what it's for, though. <laughs> and then from there, they uh, the band concludes the first part of uh, Octang Baby, and they go into the interludes. And it must be said before we do that. Now, while Bono has called it Side A, even though it's not Octang Baby Side right, A, right. it is exactly the set list of the first leg of Zoo TV. I didn't remember that. That's very cool. That's interesting. 
Yeah. So that that is another thing that is a little connective tissue. See, that's a nice Easter egg, actually. I'm sure that was done purposefully. Absolutely. And I like that a lot that yeah. they did that. I yeah. missed it, but I'm glad that you found that. No, oh, okay. That's, that's what cool. we're here for. That's cool. <laughs> so then following um as Bono is calling it, side A of Octung Baby, uh, the band goes into um the what we're calling the interlude. I think I think that's what people are referring to this as, where they're playing some older material. And Bill and I think that you and I both had um uh more unique songs that were played at the shows that we saw. I think mm-hmm. for most of the shows they've thus far anyway, um, they've been playing stuff from uh, Rattle and Hum, including mm-hmm. Love Rescue Me, which I remember you texted me the night of the opening <laughs> show and you said they play Love Rescue Me and I thought he's lying and I thought you were lying for hours until I like looked it up independently. I'm like, oh my God, why? Why would they play that song? But so the night that I saw them they did uh i still haven't found what i'm looking for which was great um but i think the really special things that they did and and i'm saying this that the person that doesn't like the song pride yes the, the jaunty song oh, yes. however um the night that i saw the show was um the night after the attacks of of um by hamas on israel right and um pride is a perfect song to play. I, I think that this has been released on video. A lot of people have seen this. Bono does a wonderful introduction um, to the song where he says, in light of what's happened in Israel and Gaza, a song about nonviolence seems somewhat ridiculous, even laughable, but our prayers have always been for peace and nonviolence. Right. And it was really moving. And it was a great version of the song. And I was moved. Um, even pride. This it was not my bathroom break song <laughs> for this nah. show. It was really wonderful. It, it was truly, truly an amazing. Early morning, October 7th, as the sun is rising in the desert sky, stars of David. They took your life, but they could not take your pride. Could not take your pride. Could not take your pride. Could not take your name. And it went into MLK, did it? It went into MLK and they did a full version, and that was quite special. Right. And song. and did they not also illuminate the sphere with the Israeli flag? Yeah, I, mean, I didn't I act, actually. I did not know that. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, so did, that's did. cool to know. Right. You know, interlude, whatever you want to call it. They didn't have a B stage, but this is essentially another connection, a teeny bit to Zoo TV in that this is a largely acoustic, loose format. Yeah. Um. You know portion of the show that is has no visuals it's just them on the sparse stage uh in the same way that zoo tv dialed down for a few songs and just made it a very uh human connective moment but the show i got um they start with all i want is you which they have normally been doing and predominantly most of the shows but then they mm-hmm. would do desire angel of harlem love rescue me that sort of thing 
Um, so I was ready for that. Um, but instead, after All I Want Is You, they did, of all things, Two Hearts Beat As One. What? <laughs> right. Seconds, even more, what? <laughs> I didn't introduce you. It's because I was going to ask you to sing. And then um, basically the Songs of Surrender version of Sunday Bloody Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, war, in other words. Yeah. And, and Bono had even mentioned, you know, the original idea was, hey, we're going to pick a different record for this section of the show. But it has largely not been that. <laughs> it has largely been Rattle and Hum, or as he joked that night, I asked Edge, which is his favorite album? And he said, greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was very loose. It was sloppy, uh, but in a kind of charming way. Um, I think at that portion of the set needs that because everything else is, you know, pretty static. Let's be honest. You know, they, they are to some extent a slave to the innovation because there's a lot that needs to be coordinated. Yeah, this sure. is nothing new since Zoo TV, through every show, through every tour, rather, since there's been a to a degree they've been a little bit of a slave to the visuals because they've been doing these types of tours, um, not as much improvisation. So to have a so-called interlude or B stage is mm -hmm. a nice uh, escape from that or a reprieve from that. Oh, agree. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Spontaneity. Spontaneity yeah. is wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, although I have to say before we leave um, the interlude portion, I wonder if they're doing so much of the rattle and hum stuff because they're remastering that film. I think they're getting ready to redo it for streaming. Gosh, I hope they add all those great uh, outtakes. <laughs> Put them in the bus on the way to the church. I hope they have at least five or six hours of that. Oh, my God. Some of those boring film I've ever seen in my life. Yes. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Oh, do we eviscerate that? Oh, man. <laughs> All right, that has anyway, nothing to do with this episode. Okay. It does not. It does not. <laughs> but but I, I wonder about that. Yeah, um, so then following the the interlude, um, Bono says something to the effect of, you know, we're waking up the baby, right, and they right. go into the second part of the album. So they do, at your show, I think they did um, So Cruel at this yeah. point. In yeah, mine, they, they did Acrobat. And may I just say, I was like literally... Uh, the one song I wanted to hear more than anything was so cruel. So when they, <laughs> when they did acrobat at this point, I go, Oh my God, are they not doing so cruel? Right. Uh, 
but we'll we'll do your set list. Um, Acrobat. Um, I think I've told you it's it's actually not my favorite song, and I know that's heresy to most people. Um, but it was a great version. I mean, Edge just mm -hmm. plays the crap out of that song. Yeah. Um, and 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 as I said, he was really loud <laughs> on this for me in in where I was. So I really love that. Um, no, that's yeah, great. It was, it was actually a really good version. Uh, what? Do you yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. I have to say that this is one thing where I, I want to point out the stage again because this, I know you didn't see as much of the stage as I did. The stage was doing cool things up until this point kind of doing block colors that yeah. were great but on this song um there were sort of these graphic images of the band in close-up being shown on the stage mm -hmm. and i think that it was my favorite um one of my favorite visuals of the night it was so cool because it was so thing, unexpected yeah well the one thing that i cannot see is the the stage itself the top of the, it, the, yeah. the top of the stage so i i never got the the any of those images so that's the one bummer of being on the floor yeah yeah but it was cool and it was it was unexpected too because yeah. i was like oh i didn't know the stage was going to do <laughs> would do yeah. that but it was it was really it was it was uh it was great yeah so yeah and then okay so now we get into so cruel right. um and 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 as much as i wanted to see it i have to say i was fearful that it was not going to be as great you know just because they're older or whatever like i was very fearful of that um i actually thought bono sang the hell out of this one um i really love this um uh, edge he's he's playing real piano yeah um which which is another thing like they could have done the piano on a, a loop or something but he's really playing it and then he drops out i think after the second verse um mm -hmm. and does that little tremolo part which i love um, I just thought it was a great version and I was very relieved because I, like I said, that really was, I mean, other than the, the Hersey, Pennsylvania rehearsal mm -hmm. before the second leg of the zoo TV tour, um, we have no full band version. So this right. is it. And I, you know, we had been tweeted, Gavin Friday was saying, this is going to be highlight. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Hi hyperbole. But it really was for me, like I, they, I thought they nailed it. Cross the line I'm pushed to over It doesn't matter to you It matters to me We'll cut adrift But still floating I agree. I agree with everything that you just said. And I love the, the really forward harmony vocal that Edge did too. Mm, I, right. I thought that he was did, great. He did add that, didn't he? Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah.
so yeah so, all agreed good there yeah, yeah. And, and then, then uh, we uh, ultraviolet right which you hate and uh <laughs> no i mean i know you don't hate it I'm no sorry. i don't hate <laughs> it i mean it sounded really good it, it i thought it sounded great no no i had to give you shit for that because, i know i know because I, 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 I well you I don't like acrobats so there you go all right, fair enough. I, I don't hate it, like just like you. But no, I, I love I love ultraviolet. I actually thought it was better here than uh, 360. Mm. Um, I thought 360 for ultraviolet with the hanging microphone. I thought that was like a little, like I just play the song. Like I, I love the song. You don't need all this. And this was just like a, a pure version of the song. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and I thought I thought this is one Bono saying I thought really well. Mm -hmm. um and edge is always good so it's like superfluous to say that um, yeah i really enjoyed it i thought this was actually one of the highlights for me you know it was a good song i i yeah. i enjoyed it um and then came love is blindness which was i thought an amazing version well we both agree that was an absolute highlight it was on zoo tv it it was here it it may have been the very best song performed of the night um if i was yeah push came to shove as much as I love so cruel but love is blindness is sublime I mean it really is It is, and you know, Edge sounded amazing. So did Adam. Yeah. Um, we haven't mentioned Adam. Adam was we great. Haven't. Adam was great. We haven't mentioned Adam. Adam was great this whole show. With he was smiling and sneakers. sparkling. Yeah, he looked fantastic, <laughs> and he was great. He yeah. was a wonderful presence. I can't believe we didn't mention Adam, but he sounded good on this song as well. No, he really did. You're, and, and I didn't even mention him. You know, two hearts and seconds. I mean, all they needed to do was no New Year's Day, although you wouldn't have liked it. Uh, <laughs> but like, those are the three greatest baselines on War, or maybe even of his whole career. So, right. Yeah. Shame on me for not even mentioning that. <laughs> but so, yeah, but love is blindness. And of course the solo edges solo on love is blindness is, I mean, it's top shelf. Always, always. But I, I think we have to mention the visual here, right. um, you know, from uh, uh, ultraviolet, the sphere has gone this sort of 
oh, this sort of ultraviolet blue color, I guess. And that's where it starts with love is blindness. And then during love is blindness, um, these nighttime insects, these giant nighttime insects start to land on the sphere. And I hate bugs. And I thought, oh, this is going to be bad. But it really worked for me because, it, it, first of all, it plays into the, you know, won't you wrap the night around me, right? Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. And it's also this m- more of these connections with the natural world. and Which, again, we're kind of not giving it away where it ends with the end of right. the show. But, but it's all yeah. building up. that yeah, yes, There's exactly. something amiss here. Yes. yes. Right. There's something, something ominous. Something's out of whack yes, going uh, on. Ex- exactly. It's, um, it's funny, you, you you detected this much earlier than me, but this was the moment when I went, oh, okay, I'm starting to get where we're going here. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was really effective. And, it was. And, you know, the, the, the moths that would land and their wings would flutter and more and more moths would land and their wings would flutter. I mean, it was really, it was powerful. And even if somebody's listening to this and they don't like bugs, you'll be okay. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> But yes, it, it was that sort of Hitchcockian birds, yes, yes. you know, sort of enveloping doom, feeling of doom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, I'm, you know, I know I'm being a little literal, but I thought, oh, wrap the night around me. That's pretty brilliant. This, right. this is a great visual interpretation. Right. So Love is Blindness ends um, with all of the band members walking off the stage and then off stage, Bono sings a minor key version of Viva Las Vegas, which uh, I I found amusing actually to had to do that song in a minor key. Um, well, well, it's important it to finally mention Elvis. I mean, I haven't even mentioned him yet, right? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't mentioned him at okay, all. Okay, just um, <laughs> so, and then of course they go into the encore, um, which uh, starts with Elevation, which yeah. you know Elevation is great. I don't know if there's anything else to say. I thought it sounded great. It was fun. It's always right. fun. Right. I mean, I listen, I we all as old fans, we have, oh my God, why didn't they do out of control? Or right. I mean, listen, let's be realistic here. They're you know, they're gonna play something, you know, a little bit more modern, you know, one of the hits. Obviously, they do Vertigo in there. We'll get to, but like, of yeah. course, let's be realistic here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Elevation and, is is a fine song. It's fun. It's, it's and I, I think yeah. to speak to that point, it's a good point because you know, you two, they know that there's going to be a lot of casual fans. There's going to be a lot of non fans sure. at these shows, right? Um, so yes. yeah, of in fact, that's a very good hits. point. I'm sorry, I don't mean to talk over you, but yes, yeah, that, I, I wanted to bring that up. Like, the sphere is a fascination. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 be honest here. There there's there were and I saw this for myself you know not an overwhelming amount but absolutely there was a segment of the pop uh, of the audience they were fascinated with this thing called YouTube with this thing called the sphere. Right. <laughs> there was absolutely a thing that night. Absolutely right. And the encore is their payoff because they're probably going to know all of these songs. Exactly. Except for Atomic City but we'll 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 get them. Um <laughs> So, exactly. but yeah, I mean, I thought Elevation sound it's fun, right? I love yeah. that song live. Yeah. I do. Um, and it's it was a great way to end with My Way, um, which is much more Sid Vicious than Frank right. Sinatra, right. which I think was very, very appropriate. Um, sure. And, you know, we're going to be talking about the visuals. Um, uh, during Elevation, the, 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 the night creatures 
are still covering the sphere. And then mm-hmm. with during my way, they all fly away. And mm-hmm. um, that's when we see that pretty much now that iconic image that you see um, Las Vegas. Right. Right. Out the sphere. So, and I don't actually know if, if the view that you're seeing would be the view from the sphere that I don't know, I would imagine it probably. I is. think it's a little further back if I'm not okay. mistaken. Cause I was thinking that. For sure. And then, of course, you're going to you go into Atomic City, which makes perfect sense. Right. Right. Uh, are you going to let me talk about Atomic City or just hit me with a, uh, you know what? You newspaper? start and then I'll do the cleanup after. How about that? <laughs> well, it's well, Melody, it's jaunty. <laughs> it's absurd that you are trying to keep on the record that pride is jaunty while Atomic City exists in this world. It's it's a pop rock song. It's jaunty. It's like, okay, it might be jaunty, but so is pride. But go on. What do you think of Atomic City now that now that we're here? It's it's a brave move by the Irish lads to to roll out Atomic City wedged between classics <laughs> like Elevation and Streets or you know, like what? <laughs> I mean, it's just I'm sorry. Like it, I, it's just not a good song. I think it's all right. I, I think it's it's a world better than the the last two singles that they released. What is it? The uh, your song saved my life. And what was the other one? The um, Ashima? Ahist- I, I'm I'm completely make, ruining that title. I, I don't mean, remember what it's called. That's terrible. Melody, in in the history better. of you two, it is the standard of excellence. Well, it's okay. It's not terrible. Like is that's the standard we we've been left with? Come on. Hey, they they have songs like the blackout. So it's not like this is the first clunker they've done. But, Let's not um, jump ahead. Let's not. All right, all right, all right. That's true. That's true. But um, yeah, I mean, it, I, it doesn't com- offend me. How about I that? commend them for putting out a new song? I will always support an artist, and you two has always been on point with. Let's keep pushing new stuff. I'm I'm always in favor of that. Unfortunately, this song is not good for me. Okay. 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 However, however. The visuals are kind of cool. This is where this is where the the uh, city landscape recedes into the desert. Fabulous deconstructs. Deconstruct. Thank you. That I loved. I thought that was fabulous. Yeah, and you you are left with this desert scene, and um, when they go into Vertigo, which is the next song, that's still what you're looking at is is the desert. Now I thought this was going to be streets. Mm-hmm. because of it's receded in the desert did that bother you at all or am i overthinking it no i well they did the bit where they had the helicopters that that came out and the the helicopter spotlights were used as a stage spotlight so to me it was still a little bit um, yeah it was the desert but they were still kind of doing interesting things with helicopters and it wasn't quite serious enough for streets if that makes any sense not it, quite yet it it makes sense i just i just thought that was the natural you know, we recede into the desert and we're left there and that seemed like a natural place for it. And, and it's a little odd vertigo into streets, I'll just say. Mm. Yeah, no, I little, see that. A little bit of a strange transition. It didn't, bo- it didn't ruin the show for me. It's right. kind of something right. I thought. Um, and, and vertigo, like elevation, it's a fine song. There's nothing wrong with that song. It's fun. It's rocking. Let's, yeah. not, let's not over-intellectualize it. We don't, we don't need to do that. Um, I was but, happy to hear it, but, but, but be that as it may, then we get to streets mm-hmm. and, you know, we've talked about this on the Joshua tree episode. 
let's just tell it like it is. This is one of the great iconic moments of any rock concert. Um, that that intro always sends shivers, and it is always not just your own personal experience, but your experience with others who are sitting there with you and they're receiving this chilling and all at once uplifting riff for the ages. Um, it's it it is communal. And when I said before about I was waiting for a moment where I could say, yeah, this is my U2 experience. I mean, I'll just be honest, this absolutely confirmed it. I it's not that I didn't feel it before, but it's like, okay, this feels like any other show from 1987 to 1997 to 2007. Mm. This feels exactly like what I've always felt. It's a communal um uplifting moment and gotta say i loved it yeah yeah no i did too and i i think that they use the visuals very well that was still a backdrop of the desert yeah but from the desert um another flag rose this time it was a white flag it was right. definitely the iconic surrender flag that's being used yes. um although it looked like it was uh the, the flag itself was made from i don't know water vapor or steam something like that, but it was quite beautiful. And so I thought, oh, this is nice. They're using this desert motif along with the, the white flag. These are right. great iconic, iconic images. And yes. it was, it was beautiful. It was lovely. Um, and from here we go to with or without you. Yeah. With or without you, which the visuals were still um, in the desert. Um, it was another day had risen in the desert, um, right. which I thought was beautiful. Um, but the land again receded during these visuals and water again covers the land, the desert. So it, it's it's covered in water. And um, but before and we go on to, there's a sphere. There's another sphere right. in the distance. Um, but before we get to that, I, the song itself I thought sounded great. Well, you know my feelings about that song. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I do love it. It that is another communal moment. Mm -hmm. um, the ah, I mean, yeah. it's hard to not involuntarily feel your arms outstretched <laughs> you kind of can't help it and when you i mean you know me melody it's like i've always been self-conscious you know about my association with you too you know the haters and you know my association with the indie rock scene i, I will own this one of the reasons i'm doing this podcast is to say you know to hell with this garbage <laughs> i i want to own this moment i feel it's important i I have to force myself in these moments to go, I have to let it go. And I did. Sure. And it felt fantastic. Um, it was exaltation. That is wonderful. <laughs> you know, I, I let myself go and I it felt so good. And I have to credit part of this to you and to us collectively doing this podcast, owning, because we are both, let's be honest, we're both a little self-conscious about things. Um, but mm -hmm. you two is something we share and maybe they're not perfect. Maybe they are confounding at times, beguiling at others, but they are a constant in our lives. And I just want to take this moment to where I really forced myself to say, I'm going to give myself over to this moment. And it was a beautiful moment. And Indeed. I, and, and God damn it. I'll just say, it's like when that moment came, I was arms outstretched just give it to me i agree it, it was really it was wonderful and i think that there, there was such a powerful 
image going on, which we'll yes. talk about. Um, but I don't think that it overwhelmed the band. I think that the music added to the visual, the visual added to the music in this case. So you kind of do need to be there for this. This yeah. was so enveloping when, as we mentioned, there was a, a smaller sphere off in the distance um, once the land had been reclaimed by water, which got closer and closer to the screen. Um, a circular section of that sphere opened and yeah. the entire um, uh, sphere <laughs> was yeah. enveloped by this amazing image, which is called um, Nevada Arc. Mm. Um, the artist's name is Ez Devlin, and mm. it is a black, uh, I guess, sepia-toned black and white mm. um, image of endangered species yeah. from Nevada. And you are surrounded by these creatures. It is a transcendent moment. And that's where conceptually, as we've been teasing all along, that you understand what this has all been leading towards that the visuals have been reflecting on the ramifications of climate change. Yeah, you get it. So if you don't have anything else for With or Without You, um, they end the show with Beautiful Day. Um, Which I initially, when I saw the set list, and of course I'm not seeing the show, I was like, really? Not, not that it's a bad song, but it never felt like a concluding song. But, but I think, in context yeah. of this, it did make sense. It did, and it was very, um, it was very uplifting feeling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the images, the sepia tone of the um, endangered species that is, are now surrounding you in the sphere. Um, colors come out on right. to them, which of course is matching. You know, matching the colors the came out yes. right, exactly. But it's and that sounds hokey, I guess, if you're saying it like that. But it was very, very powerful. The lights are on. It's very bright in there. It's very communal. Right. Um, it's a very positive moment, a, a moment of hope. Um, yeah. Whereas if you start looking at the show in retrospect, it's a pretty heavy show. There's a lot of dark moments visually, um, and you end on a quite um, optimistic tone but may i just say i believe and i think you agree that you two and particularly bono went into these shows with a conscious decision to pare down at least you know the outward vocal politicism of you two shows and let the more subtle visuals tell a story rather than you know him orating shall we say indeed which was different from previous tours which of course were overtly political and then the question is, were they soft selling the idea of the catastrophic damage done by climate change? Because truly, if you didn't want to see what these visuals represent, you didn't have to. Oh, I think they absolutely were soft selling it consciously. Yeah. I mean, nothing's hitting you over the head if you don't want it to. And I think this plays back to the question of, does this feel like a U2 show? Certainly by the encore, I was recognizing something familiar, comforting, and necessary for my U2 experience. It and 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 it wasn't was the political box checked. It was am I getting the communal mm -hmm. connection? Am I getting the human connection? I got enough of the innovation or the technological um advancement and 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 enveloping and, and and all this but did i get enough of that human element that i rely so heavily on and i need and if it doesn't if it doesn't check that box for me why am i there 
I mean, I, I agree. I came down on, it was a different type of U2 show, but I did indeed feel that it had that heart, as you're saying, community that a U2 show must have. Right. Now let's talk about what is the, what are we looking at here? Like what does the future portend? Um, To me, I, I am, I am convinced this was a great business venture and artistic. Let's be fair. Mm-hmm. This was a fabulous decision on U2's part, and they knocked it out of the park. Let's Agreed. talk about, though, what what is the future for U2? Um, or, or for that matter, the sphere, and who else could do this? I mean, I, I think that there are some artists that could probably draw enough uh, crowd to fill the sphere on a residency basis. Um, but, you know, I think that what you're talking about is sort of the, the, the bigger picture too. Um, will there be more spheres built in different cities? I know certainly that's what's being discussed. Right. And then how does it affect the future of live music? Right. Exactly. In general, not not club bands. We're talking right. about Bigger bands that right. face the question of, do I uh, set off on a three-month tour? <laughs> right, exactly. You know, that, that's what we're talking about here. Right. Um, let's start with you, too. I mean, that's what we're here for. I mean, you you point out that they have a two-year option. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do. They do. They have a two-year option to continue at the Sphere if they choose. So yes. the question is, is that a continuation of this, or is this... Another venture, i.e., a new album and a residency at the sphere. Right. You know, and then you're getting into questions of um who gets to see live music. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, when you have touring bands, large touring bands, it's very expensive anyway. So force again, you, as you mentioned, we're not talking about clubs, we're not talking about music at that level, we're talking about larger acts. Yeah. Um, a lot of people already can't see shows. Live music yes. is something that is for folks who um, are fortunate enough to have expendable cash, right? No but question. now you're adding this expense of traveling. Yeah. Who who gets to see these shows? Well, people with money is the short answer, right? But it goes deeper than that because by making it, you know, a, a one destination, take it or leave it proposition, they created a feeding frenzy. I mean, it wasn't like putting tickets on sale for a 40-city tour where it's just, you know, fans trying to get tickets for their city show. You know, knowing it was going to be only these shows at the Sphere, it was literally millions across the world all trying to get tickets at the same time, pretty much. And as you said, add the cost of getting to Vegas and a hotel to boot. And if you couldn't get tickets, then you've got to pay the popper and whether it be, you know, StubHub or Vibby or whoever. And and let's face it, in this era, U2 is now in a in a demographic, an older demographic mm-hmm. who they want their bottle service, their VIP. They don't they don't mind paying more. They want something that will give them something special and they don't mind paying for it. That's great for you, but what about the fan that doesn't have that economic advantage? It's a problem, and I think that kind of what we're talking about is, is this the future? Are there going to be spheres in certain metropolitan areas? Well, we know we have one in Las Vegas. Maybe you'll have one in New York, in London, Hong Kong, right? what have you. Exactly. Um, you know, and I, I don't, I don't think that we can answer that question. Obviously, no. um, it's 
touring in reverse, right? The audience yeah. is coming to the artist. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what they'll do. And then the other thing that I think about too is will these spectacles, uh, maybe not with YouTube, but in the future, will these spectacles overpower music? Well, that goes back to what I said. It's like, just because you can do something doesn't sure. mean you should. And sure. so it does come back to, is it in the hands of an artist that has a taste level that's not going to make it gross and right. overwhelming? And does it even matter that the band is there? Or is it just, remember back in, in LA in the early 80s, the thing called Lazarium? Do you remember this? I do. You'd go up to uh, Griffith Park Observatory and you're just like, let's take some acid and just listen to music while we watch these visuals. Like that's enough. <laughs> like, I mean, for me, like, I'm sorry. Like, I know I'm get off your lawn guy, but like a concert tour was, you know, and, and for me special because it is something that's conceived. It's something that evolves. It's there's a tenor to it as it goes from town to town. Um, and God knows Bono always reacted to uh, the moment, the city, the elements, um, you know, in the sphere, of course, a marvelous thing, but it's static. It's highly conceptualized. You are to a degree a slave to, you know, the production. And this isn't anything new. I mean, like innocence and experience had that, whatever you call it, you know, that long thin the screen yeah the, the screen yeah, you know so so i i understand it's nothing new zoo tv to an extent i get it um but at the same time is this the future um not just for youtube but right all major acts it and it's a big question i don't I, obviously we can't answer that yeah. um but you know i mean you mentioned before of course this was a great business decision as well as artistic decision for you too. Yeah. Um, huge moneymaker um, for them. Um, oh God. Yes. And talking <laughs> of how much, how much, I mean, so um, Dolan paid them reportedly 10, $10 million for the residency, right? They live nation reportedly is paying them $4 million per show. And then they're also um, taking 90% of the proceeds. From each show that is a lot of money and again like i said let's not forget this fear is a massive gorgeous illuminating the sky advertisement during the course of this run there's yeah. not, when you're there when you take off from the airport melody you see that sphere <laughs> that's what you see it's it's a landmark now it's huge it yeah. is huge yeah and, and but getting back to the money i don't begrudge them I'm not I'm, saying I'm, I begrudge them. I'm what I'm that. saying is that they've come so far from the conundrum that they faced on Zoo TV, which was a 4% sure. profit margin. But 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 on the flip side, though, is because this was so well done, and it was, yes, it this was. show has made them relevant again. Yes, it has. It, they're a talking point. They're mm -hmm. a TikTok moment. They're an Instagram right. moment. Um, nobody's talking about Bono, Bono being annoying. No one's talking about uh, putting uh, their music into the Apple library. That's now pushed off to the side. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And and I think he, again, Bono learned something on the book tour performance. He's jovial. Um, he doesn't mm -hmm. feel 
so insecure. I've got to put across an agenda. I, I don't have to check boxes having to do with, uh, you know, the one campaign. And, and I'm not belittling that by any means. I'm just saying, I think there's a conscious decision to let's take a step back from that. Let's let you to the brand uh, um, reap the rewards that we deserve at this point after 40 years of service. Absolutely. And, and, I agree with that. And then the other thing I think that to mention is it's quite a, a trick that they pulled off that these are guys who are in their early 60s in a rock and roll band um, who are pushing the envelope forward on um, artistic performance and technology. Well, That's they always something. have. And I will give them credit that it's still a priority. Um, but what does it mean? Will what they continue with this year? That, that is the question. I, I think we don't know. I mean, you know, there are rumblings in the U2 camp, um, interviews that they've given that they plan to tour again. But will they after this? I don't know. I don't know. I'm Like I said, if I was in their shoes, to be fair, I would be thinking to myself, why do I want the hassle? Like, what, what if there was, if not the sphere, it, what if there was a venue in every continent, you know, Europe, in Asia, in Australia? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And who knows if that will happen before you two eventually retires. Who Understood. knows? And, and what makes me sad about that? I mean, you know, am, am I stuck sort of in my old ways that rock and roll band should tour or band should tour? Maybe. But also what makes me sad is, you know, not as many people will be able to experience uh, certain levels of live music. And that makes me sad if that's indeed the future. hundred percent. And I, and I hope that's, among the things they're debating amongst themselves, I, I, I'll just throw it back to you, though, in that regard. What if what if U2's next venture is a new record at the Sphere? Would I go? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you and I, <laughs> you and I can drive yeah. there in four and a half hours. We can. We can. But but let's say their next venture was at the new Sphere in London. Yeah. Would I be able to see this show? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I would. And that would just, that would be well, a bummer. Well, and listen, I feel bad for fans that can't see their show. Right. Well, listen, I, I'm just going to say a few friends of the podcast have always already reached out. They have said, I just cannot go to this show. Yeah. And that, that, that makes me very sad. Makes me sad too. Because, you know, even if they do, um, you know, if they film one of the shows and they not and the same. stream somewhere, it, yeah, it won't be the same. Like they always do or usually do some sort of tour souvenir. This is the one that really cannot be captured on film, yeah. even though I've seen some great like, you know, drone footage and like that yeah. looks great. And of course, but there's this actually cannot be compared. Yeah. Like that much. I will give the sphere <laughs> and, and yeah. this this whole thing. You cannot possibly compare this to any tour. It's, it is its own thing. And, and when they look down the 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 annals of U2 tours, you know, they, hey, here's the boy tour. Here's the war tour. This cannot even be quantified. It's right. It's its own thing. Indeed. And yeah, I mean, I I just feel badly. I feel bad, badly for fans that have been fans as long as you and I have. And exactly. they would love to go to this, um, but they can't for many Absolutely. reasons, economic or otherwise. All yeah. right. Well, I think we've done it here, Melody. I think so. I think we have. Why don't you take um, it home? <laughs> well, you know, I'm just going to invite everyone to um, join us next time on Into the Heart of You 2 podcast. Mm -hmm.